Welcome to episode 26 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to be talking about Radio Shack and how we would fix it. Let's continue the conversation. Just a quick note, there's a little bit of noise in this first segment, but it clears itself up for the main topic, so please stay with the podcast. Thanks. Hi everyone, welcome back to Made. Uh, my name is Jose Valcarza, with me as always is Ray Peña. How you doing? And Claudia Barrigan. Thank you. I realized I've been trying to say my name more of the way that it's actually that my mother says it, you know, Claudia. Yeah. Claudia Barragan. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm still working on it though, because it'll come out sometime the other way. Yeah, that sounds a little bit more naggy that way. <laughs> Just a little more naggy, yeah. Okay, Ray Peña. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, same thing. Do you get anybody thinking that Ray is short for Raymond? All the time. Really? In, in <laughs> fact, yeah, think. one of the guys that uh, that works for me, he calls me Raymond. Uh, yeah, he calls me Raymond all the time. And I've told him my name is Ray, but I don't even bother correcting him anymore. Yeah. Anyways. Um, cool. So, yeah, so we're back. We, we were away for a week there um, just because we, we were having trouble scheduling us all getting together. But I think now we're, we've all made the commitment to record. We're recording on this on a Sunday, so we're always going to record on a weekend. And we're always going to be out. We're going to have the audio out on Mondays. Right? Talk about yep. nagging. Uh, Jose's mom has, like, <laughs> she will call him out. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, I didn't hear your podcast this time this week. What's going on? Yeah, and last time when I said, oh, we, we've been away for a week, she was like, no, you guys are away two weeks. I was like, dang, all right. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so now we've, we've made this decision. We're going to make this covenant in blood. <laughs> no? Took it too far? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. All right, well, I feel like the commitment's already waning there. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, so, yeah, so look forward to that, to have more of a regular schedule where we're always sort of out on Monday, unless something really gets in the way. But, uh, yeah, so this week we're going to talk about Radio Shack. Um, and I think we all have somewhat of a connection to Radio Shack. Uh, so I think it's going to go a little long in that discussion, so I think we'll skip some of the news items that we have. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I was waiting for an answer, so it's cool. Since it's cool with the, with both Claudia and Ray, we'll go ahead and go into that then. Let's go to the main topic. All right, well, let's get right to our main topic, which uh, this week we're going to be talking about Radio Shack. And... Uh, I guess to the degree we're going to be talking about how we fix how we would fix Radio Shack, but uh, let's start with um, a little bit of history on Radio Shack. I guess um, first of all, I guess you guys are both familiar with Radio Shack. Yes. Yes. And uh, and I'm assuming most people that are listening to this have heard of Radio Shack at least. Um, Radio Shack obviously is a it's it's not an electronic store in the same sense as a Best Buy or for people that remember Circuit City or the way Circuit City was. It's a slightly different type of electronic store. Wouldn't you guys agree? Uh yes, I would. Yeah. Um, 
Now, a little bit of history behind it is that Radio Shack first uh, was founded in 1921. Um, now it's owned by Standard General. Um, so I guess in framing this discussion, we're going to start by sort of talking about a little bit about how radio, what Radio Shack is, and how it, how we experienced it in the past. Radio Shack has gone through a few changes, and we'll cover that in a little bit. And its current, its current iteration, we'll, we've each gone to a store, so we're going to talk about our experiences there, and then we're going to talk about what we would want to fix with it. So, who wants to start? Well, I would say that um, part of the history of Radio Shack is mm -hmm. also that. Um, that you know who owns it now, like Standard General, uh, General is an affiliate of General Wireless, yeah. which um, from our experience in the past, you know, and that's the other part. Um, so they, since they started in 1920s, at their peak, when the stores were at their peak, was in the 1990s, right. um, and they were. What does what does that really mean at their peak? I mean, they had over 4,000 stores throughout the nation. It's I've read somewhere that it's almost like comparing it to the CVS of electronics or like the, you know, the, the Walgreens of electronics because they had stores everywhere mm -hmm. um, and they weren't selling, you know, like, like they were specifically focused. There was like a specifically, and um, in the 1990s, as you all recall, like late 1990s, that's when cell phones were like also starting to pop up a lot more and the use and making it more affordable and everything else. So the fact that wireless is a big component has become a big component of Radio Shack from what we knew back in, and we didn't know this, but, you know, I wonder what it was like in the, in, you know, like thirties, the forties, the fifties, seventies, you know, what happened through all that. I mean, this is a great, uh, uh, I guess, um, uh, store right I mean you know it's it's a brand name of an American chain right mm. I mean it goes it went through the whole all of the historical um, the you know things that happened in history well I mean it's almost 100 years old right yeah. so when like I've I forget who told me this once but I remember hearing that you know somebody said the electronic stores are like a 30-year company or 40-year company and they cycle through and you'll see them open and close and then the next the next electronic store will come by they just they're not made for the long haul mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but Shack um, managed to Shack's around for it. almost 100 years now and it's interesting that at its peak it was when you know the cell phone um revolution revolution was was up there mm -hmm. so that that's that's something to me that that was very interesting and the fact that they at, at one point they had over 40 uh, 4,000 or more stores everywhere the inclusive of the places that are um, higher income and especially in the places that are lower income as well yeah. well let's uh, why don't we why don't we start sort of talking talking about our experience with the radio shack in the past like why don't you go first right what what how do we tell your earliest memory of radio shack now <laughs> yeah well um, you know I remember radio shack pre uh, 1990. Because I might be just a little older than you guys, uh, so I, I remember being in a Radio Shack <clears throat> uh, at that time period, and for me it was quite a, a different store than it is today. Um, it didn't matter what kind of little project I was working on, and I was uh, that was near my tail end of, of high school. 
So uh, at that time, I was experimenting with a lot of different things. And if I wanted to go in there and find a switch or a connector or a project box um, or whatever it was that I wanted to find as far as um, consumer electronic components, um, I could find it. You could find all kinds of interesting things. And they even carried um, tools, uh, which they still have today, but but it's not not the same as it used to be. So for me, the, the uh, Radio Shack was the go-to place um, if I burnt out a capacitor. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but a lot of electronics um, have capacitors in them. And a lot of electronic failure you can trace right back to a, a bursted or a bulged uh, capacitor. You replace it and it's working fine. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, nowadays people say, well, I'll just throw it away and get a new one. But in those days, um, it was just a lot cheaper to fix it yourself. And I could find everything I wanted that, uh, what I was looking for in a Radio Shack. And a lot of times it was the only place I could find it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember fixing um, appliances. And there used to be a, another kind of store that was kind of related to Radio Shack. And that was an, an appliance repair store. And you can find all the different kinds of uh electrical components for like a washing machine and a stove and things like that and uh those those stores have just about disappeared mm-hmm. but but radio shack how it used to be kind of reminds me of those stores you know finding those hard to find things and they just have them sitting on the shelf it's no big deal right, right. what about you claudia oh very much like what ray described um i also remember it as being a place where you can buy small things like mm-hmm. just from that like small, you know, like not like parts or fun little toys or, you know, like um, an alarm clock, right? Mm-hmm. But a simple alarm clock. I didn't have like 20 different, uh, you know, 20 different alarm clocks that I could choose from. It was just basically two and it was the one that's higher end and it has more gadgets to it or a simple clock mm-hmm. right um same thing with with the with the for a radio uh or like a um a walkman right they had like specific like you know they had the basic the most basic I, I think my first walkman because i bought it myself at 15 was from radio shack and it was radio shack brand that was the other part like the brand itself right um they had their own branded products too and to me like that was the most affordable thing that I could get in comparison to getting a Sony or a, like a, a higher end brand that I could never afford, but it still did, did the same thing. You know, it still recorded my favorite, you know, like radio show that I would listen to at night. Um, so as a baby, you know, like doing my, my babysitting jobs or stuff like that, I could save enough money. I would go to the closest store because they were everywhere um, and find out how much it would caused me to get what I wanted, you know, what my other friends had and work enough to be able to buy that. Uh, so I think that was really cool. Um, what else? I mean, it's the brand itself also was, was, you know, like to me, it was, it was, it's stand, it stood over time. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't like this, you know, like it didn't change. You know, I don't remember like in the nineties going through like, oh, is this is it red? Is it a different color? Is it you know like or like what are what are we? What's the feel of the store? Did they change it? It stayed the same. 
Mm-hmm. And that was kind of cool. It was like a place where you would go and see. Um, you knew what you could get. You knew it was going to be small. It wasn't going to be a large. It was like a, you know, like a small store in, in the big uh, commercial. Right. It's never way. been the size of a Best Buy. Yeah. Right. So that, I think that was pretty cool. So, yeah. So those are some of the numbers. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because I, I, I agree with everything you both have said about the feel of what the Radio Shack was. Um I always thought, for me, was the store that when I first started going to it, I went with cause my dad. Had, when when I was little, he would like fix TVs and radios and appliances and things like that for people, and uh, that's where we would that's where we would go for him to go get the parts of whatever he needed to fix, and it was in you know, resistors or or whatever it might have been. Um, and I remember that when I was at that age, I would go into the store. I almost felt like the stuff that was in there, you know, and I must have been like 10 or 11 at that point, the stuff that was in there wasn't really for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I had kind of how I saw it as a store, like, okay, this is a grown-up Not a toy store. store. Right, because they didn't really have any toys, you no. know. They didn't have toys, they didn't really have anything that interested me that much at that age. Um, and I feel like as I grew up, the store became more and more interesting to me. Um, and I don't know if that's because the stuff in the store changed, which I don't really necessarily feel like it did at that time. But I, I guess it's sort of a store that, that you, did, at that point, was a store that you grew into. Um, and another and thing that I always would remember is that they would ask for your phone number in order to buy batteries, and I never understood why. Yeah, <laughs> I find were, that annoying. Yeah, yeah I was like, well, <laughs> what do you need my phone number for? <laughs> and... Uh, so yeah, in in a in a sense, I agree with everything you guys have said. I think as I got older and I would go to the store for a specific thing that I needed, I, it was frustrating that I often found I didn't have it. But I also think that's something that changed with time. Because I remember when my dad would go buy something and they didn't have it, he would flip through one of their books and be like, "This is the one I want." They would order it and it'd come in a week, and it was fine. Yeah. Right. That's not longer acceptable, obviously. People don't see that as okay. No. And I think around that time of the 90s, early 2000s is when that shift started to happen. When it was expected for, for this store to have the stuff you needed there. Otherwise, you could do it. You could go get it somewhere else. You yeah. could get it online. You could get it whatever. So I think if, as we grew up with the store, the 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 new dynamics of the internet and of how people expect the things to happen, the store didn't necessarily adjust to those, or it couldn't adjust to those, I don't know. But, yeah. uh, but I guess that was my, that's my early sort of recollections of Radio Shack. Um, you know, listening to you guys talk, and in particular, uh, Claudia talking about the, the Radio Shack brand. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you remember the Tandy brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Radio Shack sold the Tandy brand for a long time. I thought that that was... The Radio Shack brand is the Tandy brand. It might very well be. I'm not. I'm not. It is well versed in the uh, the branding, but uh, so yeah, the Tandy brand. The very first computer I learned to program on. Yeah. My, the, my first programming computer was a was a TRS-80, mm-hmm. which is Tandy Radio Shack Model 80 computer. And if you really want to see <laughs> what a uh, uh, relic that is, if you look it up, it mm-hmm. is. It looks ancient. It had like a little four or five inch screen built right into it, it was a one yep. unit you remember that thing yeah i remember it mm-hmm. yeah so that i mean uh that was my very first pro computer to program on was a uh was a radio shack computer 
And they had they made thousands and thousands of those. They were everywhere. Every school had a room full of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that whatever marketing they had at the time was probably much better than it is now because their products are just widespread. Right. Yeah, well, and it always seemed like a store that had so much stuff in it that it made, made it makes, well, now thinking back, it makes one wonder how is it that they kept all of that stuff in stock, you know? Because yeah. there were just so many things people would need. Um, all right, well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about what happens since, right? So, Radio Shack's gone through some troubles. Um, I think it's no secret. They closed a bunch of stores. How many stores did they close, Claudia? So, they had about 4,000 4, and they closed like 1,700. Right. Which, I'll be honest with you, felt like a lot more than that. Especially living here in D.C., it felt like they closed every store almost. I remember there used to be like three near where we lived mm-hmm. and all three of those closed. And when it happened was in 2015, so... Yeah, yeah, so in 2015... So recent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I know that they... It's funny because you don't think, at least I don't think of Best Buy as a direct competitor to Radio Shack. Um, so it, it's... To me, it seems like the thing that really replaced them was the internet, right? Yeah. I mean, it's more like an Amazon. Amazon really is what was replaced them. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but even even a lot of the components that are made in China that you would otherwise buy at Radio Shack, if you need to buy a hundred resistors mm-hmm. to keep them on hand, and you can buy them at fifteen cents a piece if you buy a thousand at a time, there's no reason for you to walk into Radio Shack. Right. You can ju- and and today you can just order that through Alibaba and have it, you know, in a week. Right. Which is interesting because you could also go into a Radio Shack and if they don't have it, you could order it and probably get it in a week. Yeah, um, but you prefer to just. I mean, I I do the same thing. I prefer to order stuff online somehow. It's usually cheaper. Um, but uh, okay, so yeah, so they've had their issues. Um, I mean, yeah. I would add also the the again, and what I mentioned earlier was the the onset of of mobile uh, availability, right? Cell phones, because I think that you know early and within the late nineties and the two thousands. Everybody, everyone, I'm sure, all of these companies like this, electronic companies, were like banking on an ele- on on cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout, you know, 2000 and 2010, um, AT&T's, Verizon, T-Mobile, like those um, brands, they started having making their own stores. So they weren't selling their cell mm-hmm. phones at, at you know, Radio at Shack Best or... Buy at Radio Shack like they were doing before. Mm-hmm. So that hurt them. I mean, it's something that they couldn't, it's basically like, um, like they took away their competitive advantage, right? If the, or, and even today, you'll go over there and you'll still, you'll still be able to buy some cell phones and that's a big component of the store. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that the fact that AT&T um, and all of the other cell phone companies started having their own standalone stores mm-hmm. and then also, uh, sold it to other, you know, like the, the other Best Buys and the other companies. And then even mom-and-pop shop cell phone stores that mm-hmm. are often available out there. Yeah, and I mean, at some point, there must have been a shift in Radio Shack, right? Because, I, I like I recall, when I was little, I would go in there and I, I could not touch a thing. But yeah, I, adults only. Right. And I remember, it, it must have been the 2005 to 2010 
time frame. I, I needed this very weird battery for an old camera, this old Polaroid camera I had oh, bought. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was a special battery. You, like, you couldn't buy it just anywhere. So I was like, oh, Radio Shack, Radio Shack. You know, they asked for your phone number because they have weird batteries. So I went to Radio Shack, and sure enough, they had it. But I remember seeing, like, all sorts of kids' toys and drones and, and like, robots that you would con- had remote-controlled robots and things like that. And and I was like, when you know, when did Radio Shack start doing this? You know, well, I, I know the answer to that, but I mean, as I was reading it, RCA was a big part of of um, Radio Shack as well, right? right? RCA and cars, R- RCA cars, mm-hmm. and uh, so RCA company like was also like they had dealings with them in the early two thousands, and I think that that's probably when you started you switching over shift. to mm-hmm. making that shift. And I had an RCA car, which I think was Radio Shack. That makes sense, but even that still, like, you would need to change, swap out parts or whatever for RCA cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it, that even fits within the Radio Shack model that I normally think of. I just don't understand why they need to have a, a Radio Shack branded radio control robot. Like, I don't understand that. What, what, what was the point of that? Well, yeah. I mean, I, and another big point to make is that, so Radio Shack is not just a U.S. company, mm-hmm. right? They open stores at the height of... Right, their company in Mexico, throughout Latin America, Canada, Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. you will find Radio Shacks when you're traveling. Mm-hmm. Not, like my mom, and this is two years ago, um, you know, we went to see her in Bolivia. And again, she needed a radio, simple radio, older, you know, woman. So what <laughs> did we do? We went to Radio Shack, to the Radio Shack store. And, and she, and that's exactly what she wanted. Like, I asked mom, Let, let's, you know, I'm in La Paz, I'm in Bolivia. Where, do, where should we go buy your... Your radio. Your radio, because I don't know. And she was like, I know a Radio Shack store. Like, mm. it was her instinct to go there, because she knew she would be able to find a Radio Shack brand, simple, mm. <laughs> you know, like radio. And that's what we did. Right. And at a low low cost. I mean, pricing is a really big, important thing mm. here, too. Right. Well, and in reading some of, the, some of their issues, I think part of their problem is when you go to a chain store like this, like a Best Buy, or, or even when you go to a McDonald's or whatever, you expect things to be the same from store to store. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the issues that we're having is that that was not the case. Like you could go to one Radio Shack and you would find five of this LED light, but if you went to another one, they wouldn't have any. And like the stocking was not sort of consistent from store to store. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, I mean, yeah. clearly they had their issues and they've gone through some problems. Um, we found out during National Maker Fair. It, that's when I learned of it, anyways. That Radio Shack was back, right? They made this outreach. They they're trying to sort of rebrand their company, not necessarily rebrand their company, but bring it back in a certain way and perhaps appeal to a certain demographic. So we saw them first at National Maker Fair, and that's when we heard, or when I learned, Nick Cannon was now their chief creative officer, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in 2016. Yep. And we had, well, which episode was it? Uh, it, was, it was episode 10 when we talked about that. And uh, we actually got to meet Nick Cannon that day. Um, and, and so you can go back and listen to that a little bit. But uh, so now Radio Shack has made this effort to sort of rebrand, not rebrand, I keep saying rebrand. It is. Sort of reposition themselves, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we decided let's each go to a Radio Shack store, right? You have yep. one near you, right, Ray? Yes, I do have one right in town. Right in town. We have two in D.C., um, two are left, uh, even though I know at least two others are closed. But we have two here in D.C. Well, one's in, is one in Maryland, the one that you went to in Maryland. So one's in Maryland, one's in D.C., one in Gallery Place in D.C., and then the other one near us here in Maryland. Um, 
let's talk very I mean let's talk quickly about what our experience was. Why don't you go first, Ray? What what do you think of the new Radio Shack that's now back? Um <laughs> that's now back. Uh what's interesting is that, you know, over the years I have been in and out of Radio Shacks and uh so recently when I went in there specifically uh you know as a comparison for the show, um, I hadn't noticed it changed that drastically from you know the previous times that I've been in there. In the last year, I've been in there a few times. Mm -hmm. But what I do, uh, what I have noticed, uh, compared to the Radio Shack that is nostalgic for me, mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of mentioned that too, the adult Radio Shack mm -hmm. that uh, you know they had. If you wanted a soldering iron, they didn't only have. Well, soldering iron they had 15 different ones from economy to heavy duty that you could choose from mm -hmm. so uh, uh, I went in there specifically for a couple of things and uh, I said you know what it just happened to fall into this whole uh, podcast show that we were doing mm -hmm. and you know on the back of a, of a speaker yeah. uh, that you have those black and red connectors mm -hmm. that they're like spring clips and you, you put your speaker wire in it and it locks yeah. it in place yeah it squeezes it in place here yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure what they're they're called, but I went in there for something as simple as that. Just I just needed that connector, <laughs> and because I'm working on a little electrical project now, where I'm taking a power supply from a uh, a computer power supply, 12 volt DC, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna make it into a portable uh, power unit so I can test 12 volt components. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to have those clips so I can connect the wires easily and quickly. Right. So I went in there, and one, the guy had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. And had, and I'm like, really? You've never seen the back of a speaker? Mm. And he says, well, yeah, it has those things and you push them down. I go, yeah, that. That's what I'm looking for, just mm. that. He goes, yeah, no, we don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> we do not have that. And I'm like, really? He goes, no, don't carry that out. Do you have anything close? Uh, he says, no, we don't have anything close. Uh, and then I, I, while I was there, I said, yeah, I'm going to need a, uh, a, a small uh, switch, mm. you know, 12-volt switch. I don't want it too big. He opens up the drawer, and the, 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 the drawer is empty. And I said, how many of these do you normally have? Oh, we only carry one at a time. Mm. Something as common as a switch. Right. And they only carry one at a time, and the drawer is empty. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is, this is two, two uh, failures here. And then the last thing I, I was uh, doing before I got my, uh, my little handheld rec uh, voice recorder, mm -hmm. um, there is a... Um, there's a little adapter that you can plug into the headphone jack of your, of your phone. And it splits the two channels between a microphone and a headphone. So you can use your phone as a voice recorder. Yeah. Huh? I went in there for that adapter jack. Yeah. And guess what? <laughs> they had the empty space on the shelf for it. <laughs> so for me, that adult kind of Radio Shack hmm. is, has disappeared gone and if you and i went and i said well i'm here let me look at their soldering irons well yeah they had a soldering iron and it was the low-end economy one that you'll be lucky if you can get a year's use out of hmm. so um you know forget the heavy duty stuff that didn't happen but what i did notice is that the entire front half of the store the entire front half of the store is dedicated to to cell phones it kind of goes back to what um claudia was saying they i guess in order to stay alive they have had to get you know switch over a lot of their product lines into this mobile uh, phone market, 
And I guess that's what's been keeping them afloat. But it's very obvious when you walk into the store that 50% of that store is dedicated to mobile phones. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, if you go in there at this time of year, um, you know, a third of the store is electronic toys, like the little drones and the remote, you mentioned remote control cars and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, the adult Radio Shack that I uh, had nostalgia for and, you know, the, the whole reason I go in there. Oh, and, and two years ago, I walked in there for a, uh, a modem. Mm. And I wanted a, uh, an, an, I think, an N-class modem because they were changing the system around here. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, the, the shelf was empty, and I had to go to Walmart to go get it. So for me, a Radio Shack has been a series of failures. Mm. Um, not, you know, for me personally, because of, I'm thinking of it as that adult store. So in the end, I had to order those those uh, connectors, those, the speaker connectors, mm-hmm. on eBay. I've got 10 of them on the way, and it cost me like five bucks. Hmm. And so, if you, the store itself, is where is it located? Is it located like in a in a residential area, or is it located in a... a no, it's located... How would you located, describe, I guess, the area that it's in? Um, it's, it, I think it's unique in, in the fact of how it's located, because normally a Radio Shack is a is in a strip mall. It's one store in a strip mall. Mm-hmm. This is a standalone building <coughs> in a parking lot uh, be- between two banks. Mm. So Where is this? It's right on, um, they call it DuPont Highway. Mm. It's in, on the main highway in Milford. Mm. I mean, like, I mean, for the for the listeners who are not from Delaware or like Milford uh, or that area, like, it's in Delaware. It's yeah, it's in, in Delaware in, in, in a, a little town, in a rural or, or an agricultural <laughs> area. It's funny you say that to people around here, and they will snap at you. And that's perfectly uh, fine. No, here's <laughs> what it is. Just to give an idea of where for me, where you're, for me, I agree. I think that this is a small town. You know, mm-hmm. it's no big deal. But if you talk to people that are from here, they call this, believe it or not. The big city of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so that's that's just more about Delaware than it does. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's a population of eight thousand, so I would consider it a small town. Right. Being Got from it. from South Florida and, and living in New York and all that, for me, this is a Baltimore. This is a small town, but people are very take it very personal. This is a thriving metropolis in their eyes. <laughs> no, what's interesting to me though is that it's going to be three different types of stores because you, the one that, the one that you went to is a standalone radio shack. You have to drive to get to it. Yes, I have to drive to get to it, right. but it's, you know, less than three minute drive. It's okay. very close. Yeah, but I mean, whoever's going, nobody's, nobody's coming up on this radio shack walking around shopping in that area. It's, Correct. It's, like, it's a drive-to location. So because the Correct. one I went to is is different than that. And I think the one Claudia went to is the more traditional in a in a strip mall location. Interesting. Um, well, why don't you go next, Claudia? What, what was your experience at the Radio Shake you went to? So yeah, so the the store where I went to was is is in what you would describe as inner city, like working class, in between uh, Washington D.C. and um, Maryland, like right near the border. Uh, and specifically Prince George County, which is definitely a lower income uh, community. And um, it's in a strip mall with other, um, you know, they have like the, the Chinese restaurants, the CVS mm-hmm. nearby, you have like, or like, and not even a restaurant, right? These are just like carry out places. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, you have like the unbranded like grocery store nearby, right? <laughs> Right. So it's pretty the cool. The discount grocery the store. The discount grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So as far as foot traffic, I think they, they had, um, it was still somewhat empty, mm-hmm. but I think it's because of the time that I went, because it was closer to closing time. But just to be clear, though, this is still a drive-to location, right? Because it's a strip mall. Yes. If somebody's going to this strip mall, they're driving to the strip mall. You can't. I mean, you could walk or you could take the bus to it, but. Yes, but um, it's important to know that it's it's in a, it's like in a uh, intersection. Hmm. So it's for both pedestrians, like in a heavy traffic uh, intersection where pedestrians are all around because near, like, you know, right adjacent to these to the strip mall, you have apartment buildings you have like higher density homes so there's Mm -hmm. more more people that walk around there too Mm -hmm. Uh, buses go through this area it's not close to a metro but the metro is within you know like five minute drive or even less so technically you could walk there as well Mm -hmm. um so yeah and um what was really interesting is the the staff uh there was one male and three uh no two Two females. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were Latinas too, which was kind of cool. Um, and uh, of course, like the you know the, the the male is like he was like standing in the front, you know, sort of like he was the person that you would go to if you had questions for some reason, because <laughs> that's where they would the the, the the woman would tell me, yeah, you can go ask him. <laughs> and um, then of course the same thing, you know, like the front part was filled with like phones, cell phones, and stuff like that. Uh, but also like they had one one whole rack in the front of, um, you know, USB parts, you know, like you, you know, for, for a computer. Um, what I needed at the time was a cable um, for the cable, uh, what do you call those, the connections? The, the drive, the, that separates the cable line of our cable. A splitter? Oh, a splitter. Yeah, a splitter for the, for the cable line itself. Yes. For the so, and they had it there, right? Mm-hmm. They only had, a, um, they had two. And they had one that was, I don't know why it was gold-plated or, you know, it was a higher end. And then mm-hmm. they had another one that was, like, silver and simple. But the parts were very, were but the cost of them were still high. That I was like, I, like I'm not going to buy one for, like, $9. Um, and that prevented me from buying it. I was like, I bet you I can find something like this cheaper at Walmart. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, that's, and that's what I ended up doing. So they did have the part. I did ask him where it was, and it was right up front. Um, then, you know, so, so... But pricing was an issue. Huh? But pricing, pricing was the issue. For me, right. pricing it was expensive was an issue. for what it was. The other thing is that they do have, they did have a maker's um, uh, shelf, hmm. at least two of them, for the maker movement, sort of like the maker fair. They had all of the products from maker. Like the little maker kits. Maker kits. And mm-hmm. um, they had those there, and they were very, you know, like, well-stocked in a way. Um, and stocking is an interesting thing because it's a smaller store, right? So um, I've worked retail before in, in my lifetime, and, you know, you only stock what people mostly buy. Or you, you tend to do that, right? Why, why overstock of something that nobody buys? Yeah. Um, so if we don't find something in one, if you don't find something in one store, a lot of the times it's because not too many people want it. You're like the only person that may want it. Um, so that's an interesting thing, especially since it's a, it's a, it's a retail store, but it's small. So it's a small retail store. So it seemed like they had what they needed. Uh, it was cool that they had the in, the the incredible brand. Like we just pointed out, they had some of the Ken, um, Nick Cannon's um, 
um, headphones, new headphones, mm-hmm. and other things that he's done also, like you know, like other um, gadgets that I guess his brand has been doing, and that was way upfront as well, which is cool because I think it's there's also a lot of youth that go to these stores, uh, and again, if they can't buy a Boss, you know, like the big, um, like the more costly headphones, then this is a place where you would buy it, and you want to show that you know they, I guess they wanted to show that. Uh, Radio Shack also has com- comparable um, gadgets like that for the youth. Um, so it was kind of cool. So that that's what they had. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's about it. I mean, it was it was it seemed homey to me. It was like it felt like it was the same Radio Shack that I've been before. Maybe a little more spacious. It would have been cool if it had more um, more things inside. But yeah. <clears throat> okay. Well, yeah, so the one I went to is right in the down, in downtown D.C., um, in the area known as Gallery Place, Chinatown, even though the Chinatown part is pretty gone. <laughs> but uh, And it's basically, for those that aren't familiar with D.C., it is a heavy walk-through, a lot of restaurants, other stores there, like, um, what is that kid's store? Um there's a Bed Bath & Beyond there. There is the, the little hipster. Uh, Urban Outfitters. <laughs> Urban Outfitters, yes. The hipster store, Urban Outfitters. Then there is um, there's tons of restaurants. Like it's salad places. Right. It's right across the street from a movie theater that's inside of the main basketball arena here in D.C. So, like, there's people that are going there for other things and are also going to go, you know, shopping if they want to go to the Bed Bath & Beyond. There's hair salons. So, it's like a... It's more of a destination where this place is. It's just sort of one of the stores in this destination area. Um, I was at the library like a couple of blocks away, and I was like, oh, that's right, we're going to do the show, and I should go check out. I know the Radio Shack's right here. So I walked over there to, to check it out. Um, there's two metros walking distance to this store. Uh-huh. Um, so I went in there, and they've clearly... It seems to me that it's more of a retail location than it was sort of for the the maker or whatever. They had the they had the incredible headphones were sort of more prominent. The sprint uh, cellular phone section of it was more prominent as well as the, the accessories for the cell phones. They had the drones, they had they had but they they seemed to have more of the stuff that was for oh if somebody walking by they're gonna see a drone, they're gonna see the headphones, they're gonna come in and buy one of those. Impulse buyers. Yeah. Right. You know, or, or like a buyer that's looking more for this kind of electronic than is looking for anything like a soldering iron or anything like that. Yeah. Right. The stuff that they had like that was only their brand of it, like the Radio Shack brand of the multimeter. I've, I've been looking for a multimeter that I want to buy. I don't want to spend too much on it, but I, I also don't want to get a cheap one. So I, every time I go into one of the stores, I look, oh, let me see what multimeters they have. And uh, they really only had their brand of it. Um, the shelf, or not the shelf, the drawers where you would look for the LEDs and stuff was pretty well hidden. You could barely notice it as uh-huh. it was. All the way in the back too, right? Right. So it, it, it was definitely more of a retail store than it was anything like what I remember Radio Shack being. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's where they're heading. But, but okay, so those are our experiences currently with Radio Shack and where they stand. Um, I think to go along with that, though, 
part of my experience recently with Eurotech is that they have been at the Maker Fairs. They were at the National Maker Fair when we were in New York City for World Maker Fair. They were they, they had a presence there. They had a tent. Um, at National Maker Fair, they were showing people how to solder. At World Maker Fair, we didn't go into the tent, um, but it seemed like they were they were they had a kit where you could build your own drone, as well as I saw people with little lights that you could learn how to solder. So they they seem to be reaching out to the maker community, but from what I from what we see at the stores, the effort is not fully there to me, right? Mm-hmm. Would you guys agree with that? Would, I would agree. Okay. So I guess the question becomes, how does each one of us, how would each one of us, what would each one of us change about Radio Shack? Or how would we, I don't know, I'm going to say, how would we fix Radio Shack so that moving forward in the long term, it can be a sustainable, another hundred year kind of store? Hmm. So who, well, who wants to go yeah, first, right? I'll, I'll, I'll tackle this first. I, I honestly don't think that that uh, Radio Shack wants to be fixed. I think because it's part, uh, it's owned by a larger company that has shareholders that are that they're res, you know responsible to answer to. Mm-hmm. The only thing they're concerned with is the bottom line. They're they're not concerned with like you and me, as far as the adult consumer. Can I find all the parts I need? Uh, should should they be stocking at least ten switches, you know whatever? When I look for a switch, um, whatever Radio Shack doesn't have, which is every time I go in there, uh, I can find that at Ace. Ace Hardware has it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those kind of things, and uh, and they're only like two minutes apart, so it's not like it's a, a long way to go. Um, seeing how they're they've really changed their target market, uh, and you know I didn't even know who Nick Cannon was until you guys mentioned. Mentioned him. I had to ask specifically because I had no no idea who he was, but clearly uh, uh, he is a, a strong symbol for young viewers. You know, he, young people can identify with him. So that would explain the interest in all the headphones and the, the mobile phones and all that, and their departure from you know hardcore computer and electronics. So I am. I, I don't think that that they want to necessarily cater to to the us type of consumer so how to fix it good question the fact that they've had to close so many stores i think they've stabilized now i don't think they've been closing too many more uh, yeah found. i don't think so I'm not, no yeah. they only closed that one time yeah i think they yeah. i think they've had another round of closings so they've stabilized and they found a model that does exactly that it, it improves the bottom line but how does that improve the experience for the consumers, for all consumers, you, me, and their target demographic? I'm not sure. But I will tell you what I did, uh, I was impressed with. Mm-hmm. They must be um, training their sales staff very, very well. Because uh, I'm not sure how how much you guys have been involved in sales, but uh, there's a couple of solid sales rules. In fact, there's only three solid sales rules um the first of which is you never ask a yes or no question you never say oh can i help you no because the answer is always no so whenever i walk in there the salesperson is always what are you looking for today they're mm-hmm. forcing you to answer the question so they can sell you something so i'm going to say uh that is very strong on their part they're mm-hmm. definitely training their salespeople to do exactly that to be salespeople. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may not necessarily be fully knowledgeable, so I would I would definitely work on the knowledge 
section because when somebody like me comes in and says, I'm looking for a connector for a speaker, the answer should not be, oh, I don't know what that is. So I think that definitely the knowledge base needs to be improved mm-hmm. as far and inventory, obviously. Uh, and then uh, the other thing that the salespeople are very strong on is before you even leave, you go past that counter, uh, they are looking to make a sale. And, they, and if you're not buying anything, they'll stop you and say, oh, sir, how are you doing on batteries today? We are having a wonderful sale on all sides. And they got them right there. You need double A's. What about your remote controls? I mean, they're very uh, strong sales training, mm-hmm. and it's very clear. And uh, that I can appreciate, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think I think they've done well in that one regard, and that's probably why uh, they've been improving their bottom line. But uh, not so happy with the inventory or the the knowledge base of their of their staff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, what about you, Claudia? <clears throat> And I will say, I, I think the one thing is for me from what you said, Ray, is that, um, yeah, they, I think they're, they're probably a section of the, of the, I guess, corporate people at Radio Shack that probably don't want to fix anything and it's all about the bottom line. But I think there's got to, there's a group of people that are thinking differently. Like, so like, why are they going to the maker fairs and why are they doing some of those things? Um, if That's they, a good point. Yeah. If they're not trying to somehow change the store, change the image of the store. Um, so I, I think in that sense, as for me, I, I have some ideas. But why don't you go ahead first, Claudia? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I agree with, with Jose. I think that the corporation and the way that it's being managed is um, is having issues right now in that there's two different types of 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 groups, right? It's, there's those that are looking at the creative side, at the um, interrupter side of of this particular electronic business, and then there's those that are like still hiring, like the former CEO of Dell mm-hmm. as their as their CEO, who happened to have quit, who quit like after you know the Radio Shack is back um, type of movement that you know they came back. So mm-hmm. there's still some people in there, I'm sure. At least it feels like it from just an educated, you know, review of, you know, the different articles out there about their business, mm-hmm. that there is, there's two, two different sides to them. And Nick Cannon is on the creative side, right? Right. And, um, but what's important also to keep in mind is that, you know, nostalgia is great, but nostalgia dies, right? Because mm-hmm. people from, you know, the 1920s or like even the 1990s like us, we get older, and eventually we die off. So for a company to con- continue to cater to us uh, in in an unbalanced way is not feasible for them, right? Because they have to think of who the new clientele is. Mm. So so it's striking that perfect balance in a very small footprint is hard to do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, but... Having said that, I think that the company should also cater to people like us in different ways as well, right? So um, I have friends of mine who run their own nonprofits. Uh, you know, they have their small businesses, and I often hear from them saying, "Shoot, I have my printer broke down. I need to go get a new cartridge." Does anybody know any information about how to fix this printer, or does anybody know how to fix this thing on my computer, right? And it's an emergency situation. And they're in a, 
in an area where you know like the location of their business is in an area where there's strip malls those mm-hmm. strip uh, stores or you know like Jose said down in the middle of downtown and how awesome would it be if they could go to Radio Shack take their you know go over there with a problem and they could have it fixed right away mm-hmm. or like a Radio Shack geek squad kind of thing exactly yeah so I, I think you could do that and that would be really helpful for that specific uh, location right if you're in the center of whether it's a small town mm-hmm. or a large uh, city like like where we live so that would be a one additional item and then that would cater to people who are of our age mm-hmm. right uh, and based on our current needs as well right not the hobbyists or the super electronic people or like the people who like to do it themselves like to a greater degree than makers mm-hmm. right so then the maker part I think that the other thing they should do and so I've been talking to a lot of um and I've attended the, the the DC STEM Network, for example, summit that they had here in DC, and uh, there was a big push on creating this um, STEM projects for kids, right? And a lot of them are electronic based. So you have the battery, you have the LED little lights, you have the you know the the small little batteries, you have all of these little gadget things, and uh, educators are using them at schools, mm-hmm. right? And not just educators like. The from a regular school day, but also uh, after-school hour educators, right? After-school tra- uh, programs. Uh, who so and, and then afterwards, parents as well, right? Because the teachers tell the parents, you can do this project with your kids. So uh, those, those parents are not necessarily, those parents and those educators are not necessarily going to buy the kit itself. Right? They want to get the little parts because they saw it on, you know, on a blog or even they received information from, from other educators on how to teach STEM from K to, K to 5, for example. Right? So it would be really cool if they had more of like, bins of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Not these kits, these boxes that are high-priced. Right? Um, I just think the that parts is what you're saying. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just the parts in order Maybe to the make parts and the within the manual. maker. Yeah, mm-hmm. within the maker system. And and also with instructions and mm-hmm. also like when you need more LEDs, mm-hmm. just go in there and buy more. Right? Uh, I think that would be really helpful. So expanding their maker space, uh make their maker uh displays and making it even cheaper too, like less you know, price is important. So if you make it cost less, then you're bound to buy more. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing is um, capitalize on the fact that their current locations and the history of what people remind you know our memory is of where Radio Shack used to be. It was a neighborhood retail center, a neighborhood electronic. I mean that is so cool because it's neighborhood based. You know it's next to the Chinese carryout. So why don't they make a a community space, a community tech space? Right, so just allocate one or two tables there, where you know you could have people within the within the neighborhood that are like Ray and want to do like a quick explanation of what a speaker looks like in the back, mm-hmm. right? And what are what are the specific components that you need and how you can fix it even, right? And then just have someone that can go in there and do a class, a short class. And if it's for youth, if there's a lot of youth, I mean, you basically look at the demographics of where the store is, then, you know, you, you base it on that, 
Um, if it's, you know, the demographics are older people there that may know more, then have them teach themselves. But have that community space available for them because you are the neighborhood electronic center. And mm -hmm. to me, that says we are back and we're back for you. Um, I guess my final thing is, um, you know, is employment. So the, the fact that they had to, uh, you know, file chapter 11, close half of their stores um, after having such a great history in a way, right? Um, it's, it's really hurtful for the community as far as job creation, right? But one of the awesome things that I saw from Maker Faire is that all of the staff that was there at, at the various Maker Faires were all um, reflective of their constant commitment to hiring uh, people of color, uh, to hiring youth, to hiring, um, uh, you know, like sales associates that are uh, mm -hmm. that are representative of the communities of the neighborhoods, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think that uh, they need to bank on that more, and like Ray said, to train them not just in sales but train them on electronics too, because you you have that ability to do that. And how do you do that? You know, through like making your own speakers, making your own headphones, and, you know, have them become the experts, mm -hmm. have the staff become the experts, so, yep. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> and I, I agree with uh, a lot of the things that you said there. I think those are all things that could be very easily implemented. Um, I think for myself, um, part of it, I think, for me, is that I don't think their current model is sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think... And that's part of the reason, uh, and I'll link it on the on the show notes but why I put that video of this from this guy that does abandoned videos and he talked about Circuit City and he goes through the whole history of how Circuit City tried to adjust and change things and take out the appliances and in order to save themselves and ultimately they weren't able to um, mm -hmm. because I think the adjustments they're making are are still not a sustainable thing you know I, I think I, I think back at companies that have failed like Kodak they've not they they've not adjusted with the times yeah. and i think that's a big part of what you need to do radio shack was never this retail store where you would go get headphones that's not their history that's not where they came from mm -hmm. so for me you know yeah times have changed and people aren't fixing their radios anymore but there's other things they're fixing and i think i would make it, their stores more i mean i guess you have to keep the cell phones because you sell cell phones but i would make it more of a maker space right and I would say the parts, just like you used to sell radio switches and transistors, the parts that you should be selling now are parts for 3D printers, yeah. are, are parts that if I have a laser cutter and my laser cutter is broken, how do I fix it? Or do you have the laser that I can replace it with? I, like, if you have that notch, those are the things you should be carrying. Um, I think you should have 3D printers on site that you, people can pay to use. You should yeah. be selling filament. I didn't see filament in any of the stores that I've been to. Exactly. A filament for a 3D printer. Or like even selling, selling printing as a service. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I, I mean, and, you know, I think back to, I go to the library right now to 3D print and laser cut because it's right near here. But, you know, they don't charge at all for the use of the laser cutter. And for the 3D printer, they charge you for the filament you use. I think here at, at a store like this, you could charge a certain amount for the use of the 3D printer and for the filament. And if your print is going to take, you know, eight hours to print, you can submit it. It'll be this much for us to set it up and print it for you, and then you pick it up. Like, yeah. you know, you could do that. 
you, and you could have these printers. And if you're going to have this, then you're going to have people that are knowledgeable about 3D printers and about laser cutters. And then you can have them teach classes or you can have them help people that have an issue with their 3D printer. Like, you have to adjust in that way. You have to find the next thing that people are doing with their hands because that's what Radio Shack is based on. You know, you're selling headphones and the headphones look nice. I've been told that they work just as well as the Beats. Um, but once, if I was looking for those headphones, once I buy one, I'm not going to go back to buy another one. I already have it, right? Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's not a sustainable thing again. And they're very beautifully designed, but it's just not going to sustain the store long term. Um, uh, I had a discussion recently with somebody about comic book stores, and they, they showed me this video about this huge comic book store. And, oh my God, look at all this comic books that it has, and all this other toys, and all these collectibles. And they were like, if I'm going to open a comic book store in my, in my town, that's how I would do it. And my point to him was, that's not doing anything different. You're looking at a video of a comic book store that's in, in Times Square. Which oh, I've yeah, been, which I've animal, been, yeah. Yeah, which I've been to. They can afford to have all of that in <laughs> that stock, that uh, inventory in stock because they're selling it. There's so many people going by. Like, it's not a sustainable thing for the average person or the average store. Yeah. But if you make it a destination that people are going to want to go to because they can use the services, then you can begin to make it a sustainable store. And right now it's 3D printing and laser cutting and, and water, even portable water jets where you can have that stuff. That's right now. As things change, then you adjust with that. Oh, yeah. You know? And they just haven't adjusted with that. Their solution has been, let's bring other stuff in to sell. Well, yeah, and the, and I think you hit it on the head. What they're looking at is what's working for everybody else. Let's get into that. Right. And and I think when you walk in there, that's exactly what you feel. You don't feel like there's anything special going on. Right. So yeah, make it make it a unique, special place. You know, and I think that's the way to do it. I, I think one of the things you always say, Claudia, is that you can't bank on nostalgia, but you can use nostalgia to your advantage. Right. You can't if you make your stores this way. You can say, we were the store that you would come to fix your radio to. Now we're the store that you come to fix your 3D printer to. Now we're the store that you come to fix this other thing. Yeah, you're doing I like this. that. I like that. Right? Like, it, when you said that, it took me back to, there's a, a video out there of, uh, I never used to watch the show Mad Men, but I've seen this clip where he talks about nostalgia when he's selling to <laughs> Kodak, of all people. He's trying to sell them on an idea for slides. I don't even remember. Most people that listen to this don't remember slides, but it was... It was the carousel, right? And he talked. Yeah, to, yeah. He talks about the carousel, and he talks about the carousel, how people remembered it, and it, I'll, I'll link the video as well so people can see it. But this idea of nostalgia can work to sell something if there's an actual link to it. You know, in that case of that video, it was about memories and all of these things. Here, it's the same thing. It's the Radio Shack is called what it is, even because that's how it started. You would go buy radios there, and if you needed to fix it, you go fix it there. Like the vacuum tubes when you need right. to replace, which was often. All the time. Yeah. So now you can be that, but you can be that of the, of the maker movement of 3D printers, of, of other things that I can't even think of because maybe I don't do. You know? But you know what? You, you just gave me an idea. What they should have is maybe a system where you can build your own computer. Yeah. You know? Well, and the, the computer part is tough because there's so many stores that do it better than them. Like here, yeah. if I wanted to build a computer, I wouldn't necessarily go to Radio Shack. I'd go to Micro Center. You know, yeah. the computer part can be tough because you can also do that online so much. But maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe you could get, if you get the right kind of computer, maybe you, you niche yourself in a specific place and you're not necessarily going with the big gaming computers, but you're going for yeah. the computer that 
you can build for two hundred dollars or three hundred dollars or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. And yeah, your uh, web surfing computer, whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. What I would add to this is like uh, reiterate the fact that it is a neighborhood store, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of the times, um, and I think it's through capitalism, we expect the 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 company to be smart enough to do all these things, right? Yeah. But um, you know, it, it is a neighborhood nostalgic store, a uh, brand. So in a way, we should be able to provide that feedback to them. Right. right. So in you know, and I'm glad because our audience is part makers, right? Mm-hmm. We have a lot of makers in our audience right now for this for our particular podcast, and I challenge these makers to go beyond the kit, you know, the maker kits that we mm-hmm. that we're seeing. Go beyond that, right. and you know, like if you are truly a neighbor, an educator that cares about your community, cares about the parents, specifically cares about the kids, and empowering parents, then go and talk to your neighborhood radio shack manager right and then give them a letter specifically of what you would like to see in that mm-hmm. and then have them send it to to you know the the, the, um, the, the leads of this organization um we're gonna do that you know yeah. with this podcast we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna send it to them um to radio shack and um and i think it's i think they're willing to listen mm-hmm. because they have failed mm-hmm. when you fail at something you realize that you need to do something to change. And they have made an effort to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's more important than someone who, than an organization, than a company that completely would um, not would falter more, right? And that empowers the other half of the corporation that perhaps is looking at being more like interrupters or being more, you know, to be more creative. Um, and then let them know also that, you know, this is a neighborhood store. Mm-hmm. So, you can do it. You can try to attempt this at a from a corporate standpoint, even from a creative corporate standpoint. But the ultimate users are the Rays, the Claudias, and the Jose's, and a lot of the educators. And and yeah, it's our it's our responsibility as well to to let them know what we want mm-hmm. because I think it's the the company has made it. It has become like an icon for. For electronic stores in the country, at least in that sense, in that in that, well, in that I mean, nostalgic sense. Yeah, I mean, I know I see it that way. I don't know if kids nowadays see it that way, but I mean, that's how I remember it. Um, I remember it as the store for the makers. That's how I think of it, um, and maybe that's because that's who we are and that's that's our background. I, I would love to hear how other people see the store, and even other people's ideas on how to fix the store. Um, and I'll, I'll go first. If you like some of the stuff that we said, I think share it online, tweet it. I, I, we, we should find out what Radio Shack's Radio Shack social is back. media is. Hashtag Radio Shack is back. Okay. Well, I mean, tweet this, uh, a link to this, uh, to this podcast about it. Um, tweet your ideas at us, I think, even. And, uh, and share it, and let's try and make Radio Shack more of our store than it currently is. I have a, a question for you guys yeah. since uh, you've been into the Radio Shacks recently, and I have I have been into that particular one uh, probably four times in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see other people in there? Yeah, I mean there were there, it, it's not full, like especially when you think about the scriptures. The one that I went to in Gallery Place is bigger than most, I think, slightly bigger than most, um, but it's not as full as you would expect 
that to be, I guess. Yeah. Um, but no, it's not full. And I think that's part of the problem is that there's nothing going on in the stores that draws people in. I think if you had, you know, people making stuff with a laser cutter or with a 3D printer, you it that movement and that motion and oh, what's going on in there automatically drives people in. Yeah, out of curiosity, if nothing right. else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the one that I went to and four separate visits, only one of those visits there was a single other customer in there. Mm-hmm. Only one time. Otherwise, anytime I've been in there, it's only been the sales the salesperson. Mm-hmm. So I, I've noticed it's a bit of a ghost town. Uh, anytime I go, but um, yeah, I think I think you all have got some interesting points that that they would have to examine to see how best they could implement any of those things. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you test it out at certain stores and you see how yeah. it goes. But yeah, and I'm curious because we went to three different, I would say, store environments. Uh, mm-hmm. You know how they're located. Are they? I remember there was a time Radio Shack was in the mall. I don't know mm-hmm. if those even still exist in. In like the shopping malls, I haven't seen one recently, and I, I I'll be honest with you, I don't know that it's a store that belongs in a mall. And yeah. I think malls are in, are dying off <laughs> yeah. as well too. Yeah, they might that be part of that part of it's true as well. But yeah, I don't I don't know I, I haven't seen one recently, and I just don't think it's one that fits. I honestly never understood why an electronics store would be at the mall. To be honest with you, yeah. But yeah, but I, you I, remember those, don't you? I do. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, if you watch the end of the the Circuit City video, they talk about like a brand that's the that's in Canada, I guess that yes that, that that tried to buy the Circuit City name or something like that. Anyways, to to be more of a mall type of um hmm. of store. Um, I was gonna say something, and I can't remember what it was gonna. Uh, um, meh. I completely forgot I do that sometimes. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So, I mean, any any other thoughts, or we go ahead and move on. Yeah, I mean, Nick Cannon, if you're listening, contact he's probably us. not, but hopefully he's <laughs> listening. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk more with people about any ideas for this. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. I don't think every store needs to be the same. That's the other part of it. Like, you don't have to have, you don't have to make every store the same. Like, if, you know, the store at Gallery Place is doing well just being a retail store that sells these things, fine, let it be that. Make the store that is in, a, in another location be the store that has the 3D printers. Yeah, and the, the strip mall where I went, that was great for kids. Right. Use. Yeah. Like, he, tailor, maybe have, and here's the thing, I've worked as a designer, I, I work doing hotels and some retail, and they have, like, standards that you have to follow, and this is the way you do it, and... Like, you could just as easily have three standards, you know, just like Marriott has three chains of hotels, and yeah, they only, yeah, they only differently, but you could have three standards of, you can have this, you can have the retail store that only sells headphones, you can have this store that's the maker store, and you can have this store that's the whatever store, and you model the stores based on that, and the franchisee or the person, depending on the location, you say, this one, we're going to go with the maker one, no, this one needs to be a retail one, this one only sells batteries, whatever it might be. Yeah, like it, it, they don't all need to be exactly the same. Uh, at least I don't think. You know, I think that's part of the adjustment of the times. So, but uh, hey, okay, how cool. far are you guys from Bethesda? Uh, we are about. Oh, now we're a little further. Actually, I work in Bethesda, so oh. I half an hour. Half an hour from here. There is a. But West, I'm in Bethesda every day. There's a Westfield Montgomery Shopping Center. Mm-hmm. Yep. And allegedly, there's a Radio Shack in there. Huh. 
Yeah, we'll go check it out. So that's the Montgomery Mall, that's right? Montgomery Mall. Montgomery Mall. I have to go. We haven't been in that mall in a while. So yeah, we'll have to go check it out. See what they sell. I gotta imagine they sell even less of the electronic stuff and more of the drones. And I think you'll be right, and, yeah. 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 All right, well, good. So that is our take on Radio Shack and how we would fix Radio Shack. So let's move on to the product of the week. Cool, so let's move on to the product of the week. Uh, this week, this week uh, Ray, you added this product of the week. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, um, you know, we, we've already, we do a lot of talking about, um, about different uh, large-scale machinery that has been uh, miniaturized for the average consumer. Uh, and a lot of times we talk about 3D printing and laser cutting, water jetting, all that kind of stuff. But um, the idea of a, of a three-axis CNC printer is very exciting. And typically, I'm sorry, uh, uh, CNC router, uh, three-axis CNC router, it's very exciting because um, of what it can do. And I think we had uh, on our last show different types of uh, multiple-axis machines that we discussed. Um, right. And they're usually very, very small. Like it's either industrial scale or like desktop scale. Um, so when I ran across this, uh, which I thought was quite impressive, is um, a three-axis large format CNC router that is actually quite reasonable and affordable. And it's basically the size of a four by eight foot um, uh, piece of plywood. If you make a table that's four by eight with a, with a sheet of plywood, you've got a four by eight foot CNC router. And uh, to give you an idea, you've seen the one I have at, at, at my shop. Mm -hmm. That one has two tables and each table is five by five. So it, it's got a... a envelope of about five foot by 11 foot because there's a, a, a one foot gap between the tables hmm. and you can see how big the entire machine is yeah now um obviously it's a whole different scale but um that machine if you're going to buy it new it's uh, probably very close to three hundred thousand uh, dollars something like this um is five percent of the cost i mean <laughs> And it's it's almost as big as, uh, of an envelope. Now yeah. it's um, it has only uh, it has limited z-axis travel, um, yeah, but it's say, quite impressive. Much, it doesn't have very much at all, right? Uh, no, I I think it's just a few inches, um, and I, I had a hard time finding exactly what the z um, dimension. I mean, they, they it looks like a cut depth of two inches. Yeah, um, which is not much, but when you think about it, that's it's enough. I mean, yeah, if you're doing flat work a lot, you know, cutting CNC uh, parts out of uh, plywood, it is more than you need. Uh, but but for for thirty two hundred dollars to have something of this scale is 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 unheard of. And uh, uh, I think it's actually a product now. They they had a uh, initial. Um, Funding campaign, but now it's a, a full-blown product that anyone can buy. So again, we are not affiliated with them in any way, but I just thought it was such an impressive um, uh, format, the scale of it. Yeah, that I think it was worth mentioning. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's very impressive. Um, it almost looks like the head 
you can put your own router on it? Is that, is that part of it? It's, I, um, I am not 100%. Yeah, that might be like a Makita or something. I'm not sure yeah. what the exact um, issue is. I, don't, I, mm -hmm. I think you are right in the assumption that you supply the router. Right. Um, Which I mean, that's, I you know, that that doesn't take away from yeah, that doesn't take away from the price of this thing. <laughs> no, it doesn't. To, to be sure, yeah. I mean, I think it's very impressive at this price. Um, oh, you know what? Correction. It does come with a one and a quarter horsepower Makita router. Oh, yeah, it's easy. But that also means you could swap it out. You could put in a different. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Different one, although you maybe wouldn't need to. But uh, but yeah, I think it's very impressive. I like it. Um, it's. It is affordable. It's still you know pretty high price for a lot of people, but you know I think if you have a shop, a wood shop, and you always, and you needed one of these things, I think you definitely could use this. Um, we've met somebody at a at Maker Fairs. I forget her name. That was the top of my head, um, but she uses a router, a CNC router from like a a, a Maker Space to do like panels, art panels of. Uh, Marta. Architecture, Marta, yeah, Marta. Yes. She does architectural panels. Um, so, designer. yeah, architectural designer. I think this is something that she could afford to, as she moves forward in the design that she's making and the, and her goal for that project is something that she could definitely afford to buy at that point. You know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's pretty cool. I, I, it starts to become more and more accessible for the average person. Um, yeah, because you know the idea of those small little CNC routers—they're just so small; they're not practical to use. Right. Right. Not for anything large like like what she makes. She makes this large architectural panel. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Well, what do you think about it, Claudia? Um, I mean, there's nothing much I can say other than the fact that uh, it's kind of big, so you kind of need space for it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's one. And um, two is that while the price is good, one of the things that I I've seen and I've heard from the times that Jose has gone to the maker to the fabrication lab at the library is that um, they don't necessarily libraries and this maker public maker spaces don't have the funds to buy um, products like this even though you know we're saying that it's it's still fairly accessible in pricing um, you know like there's still an issue in budgeting for these uh, community community uh spaces um so it's important to for the patrons to constantly ask and demand in a way because you know all of this is being paid by like a library right it's, it's publicly funded mm -hmm. um to demand that they invest um in this in in this technology and and what's you know some of these things and to budget properly so that they can each year or on a quarterly basis, budget properly so that they can have this this type of tools available for everyone. Uh, because if they don't, the learning curve is only going to be higher and higher, and the accessibility of these things are going to be um, worse and worse. So we can think of the consumer, but can we also think about the general public being able to have access to this? Yeah, I mean, I think because at three thousand, that way, I guess it's regular price is four thousand dollars. Uh, four thousand dollars. It is. It's not for the average user. It's still for like anybody that has a shop mostly. Um, mm -hmm. 
but it's definitely something that a a makerspace should be able to budget for and afford and work with somehow, you know. So yeah, I like. It. I mean, I like it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, cool. I like it. Which uh, that's so that's our product of the week, the print print bot. Yeah. So and, and you know what? It's I think that's a weird name, uh, print bot because it's not print. Or I'm sorry, crop. Crawlbot. Crawlbot, yeah. Yeah. Crawlbot, the company is Printbot. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess they might have started that way with printing, but it's clearly not printing. Yeah. Well, the, you know what would be interesting about this thing is, well, I mean, I guess not. It wouldn't be that easy because you'd have to make a bed especially for it. If you could, since, you, since it's just a Makita head that you're putting on it, if you could replace the head with a laser at one point as well. Um, you know what? Well, yeah, that would be interesting. You'd have to have a special bed for it, obviously, at that point. But yeah. yeah, and you'd have to have a special controller so you can adjust the uh, the intensity of the of, of the, the laser. laser. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So pretty cool. Good. So uh, let's go on to what are we working on? All right. So what are we working on? What's everybody working on this week? Uh, Claudia, why don't you go first? Um, well, I've been really busy. I've been organizing a lot, so it's been kind of hard. Um, yeah, I, oof, I, I don't even know where to even begin and how, what, what have I been working on. But just give us one. If it's too, <laughs> it's too early, just give us one of them. Yeah, it, it's not related to this, which is like the hard part, I think. Um, but here's, yeah, here's what I could say. Um, yeah, I have been featured by the Washington Post and other local um, media regarding a lot of organizing um, mm -hmm. that I've been doing within my immigrant community. But one of the things that, that um, has led me to a realization that uh, now, because when that happens, something, you know, when a video of yours goes viral in a way, <laughs> Facebook, uh, people look you up. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's really interesting that now, like one of the things I'm going to work on this week is to include this podcast, uh, this maker space, uh, and I, you know, like this creative space that we are creating right now for the three of us, but specifically for our audience. Um, and I'm going to put that in my in my bio, and I'm going to make that more prominent because it's really important that people see that. Um, people like the three of us are in, are in this, you know, mm -hmm. are doing this type of work and are building this content for the community. And it's a very diverse community, which is great. So I think that's what I'm going to do, you know, sort of like bank a little bit on that um, viral <laughs> mode of things happening um, in, in the current world that we live in now and make that uh, more prominent, make, make this space, this creative space that we're creating more prominent in my, mm -hmm. in my personal brand. Cool. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, what about you, Ray? Um, well, a couple of exciting things. Um, as you know, I know you saw the pictures. The boat that I've been working on yep. has finally uh, met the water. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was. This is a for the for our listeners who may not be aware. It's a boat that I had no plans for. I just grabbed a couple of pieces of wood and I started bending them into a shape and putting plywood on it. I mean, it was as rustic a boat as you can possibly build with, with basically just a few hand tools. And I was actually quite pleasantly surprised because I had no idea how it was going to sit on the water, mm -hmm. um, how well it floated, and I was able to stand up in it. And it's a small boat, only 
12 foot long or so. Um, but uh, I say rustic, but when you look at it, once it's painted, I don't think it's going to look, I don't want people thinking it's a hollowed out canoe. It's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not a, that rustic. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just fiberglassed it last week and I put it in the water yesterday. And that video and I know you saw you, the, the pictures of it. The video of you fiberglassing it is online already, right? It is online already, and um, I expect to have the, the video of us getting it in the water um, up. If not uh, soon, it'll probably be Thursday. I'm, mm-hmm. i got to see how I can schedule it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Finally got it in the water, and I'm very pleasantly uh, surprised of how it sits. Um, and, and, and really, you know, I'm not a master boat builder. I don't, wouldn't call myself an expert boat builder either because I'm not. Um, but it is, I think, my fifth boat mm. uh, that I built, in, and I'm, it's the one that I'm happiest with. Mm, very cool, very cool. Yeah, so people should check that out. Yeah. Uh, check out the first. So by the time this goes, this this audio is live. The <clears throat> the fiberglass one is on there, and look for it on Thursday for the the video of the final yeah. boat. Or, or well, I guess it's not really done yeah. yet, right? But the the first water test of it. The first water test, because I didn't want to invest any more time and effort into it if it was going to roll over. <laughs> you know, the thing rolled over and it's no good. I'm not going to mess with it anymore. But uh, now that I know, it's going to sit very nicely in the water. And uh, two, I had uh, myself and, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, we were both in it. And it, it's, uh, it just was a pleasure to be in. So now I can finish it, and I think I'm going to put a small deck on it, and uh, I've got to look for a motor, and I got to actually find a trailer. It was uh, not that it was that heavy, but it was difficult getting it in the water without a trailer. So, so some more work to be done. Cool. And uh, if any listeners are hearing about this boat for the first time, uh, they really should look at part one because I started to build it in the living room, and I think you guys mm-hmm. saw it in the yeah, living room seen, too. We we saw it only in the living room, really. Ah, you, you took it out it. after, yeah, since we've been there, yeah. Ah. Uh, well, very cool. cool. But you know what? That brings up a good point. I need to name it. I need to find a name for it. <laughs> Jen is suggesting... Do you, to, do you need to register it as well or no? If I put a motor on it, I need to register it, yes. And I will, oh, so okay. I'll need to do that. But uh, mm-hmm. Delaware has a provision for home-built boats. I just got to show receipts and pictures mm-hmm. of its of its build that way you prove that you are the one that made it uh, and okay. uh, you can register it as a home built boat mm-hmm. but i need to name it and jen suggests to call it firewood because it was mm-hmm. in danger of becoming firewood uh, the longer it stayed in the living room <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were going to name it like living room boat or something <laughs> living room boat would be nice too but i don't know if yeah. i guess any name i give it uh, you'd have to have a story behind it you have to yeah. explain it or you could, you know, as a bit of a dig, you could just name it the Jen. <laughs> really, uh-huh. really plunge that deep. The fact that it was in your living room for how many months, <laughs> and then um, you name it after her. Yeah, that it was in the living room all last winter. Yeah. <laughs> or like not in the living room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. I like it. Yeah, well, if listeners have any ideas for boat names, <laughs> send them to yeah. Ray. <laughs> go, yeah, go yeah, find yeah. the video. Find the video and comment in the video any boat names. That you can, uh, that you, and can you know of. the story now because we've been yeah. talking about this, the the boat for a while now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, good, good. Um, well, for myself, I've uh, I yesterday, which we're recording this on a Sunday. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, yesterday I finished. Uh, I've been working on making 
these lockers that we bought in Pittsburgh for 20 bucks. I've been sort of making them into a wardrobe, if you will. So I finally finished that, and I'll, I recorded a bunch of video of me working on it, cutting it, and then putting it back together. And, and it's funny, because it's, it's based off of these school lockers. And it's funny, you know, whenever I looked at school lockers back when I was in high school or whatever, I always thought they were much better put together than this, because it's really just held yeah. up by screws. <laughs> it's just nuts yeah, and bolts yeah. is all that holds it together. You, I always thought of it as being welded or something, but not even a little bit. Oh, I think it's this one is smaller too. Like in 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 the doors, you like it's not a high school locker per se, right? It's for like it's more some like kind of, it came out of some kind of school. Yeah, I think yeah. it's and that's a, and that's the point I was making. So it's sort of like elementary school where you don't have that many things mm-hmm. that you're bringing. They're smaller, which is cool, mm-hmm. and um and also like they're lighter, right? They're lighter. So if you're not bringing in like huge books and you're going to put them in like, you know, like your, your chemistry book or your... Well, I thought to me the interesting part of this is that it's completely made out of standard parts. So whether you have one or you have two, you can use... And all the shelves are the same standard parts. So the floor, the top, and the shelves are all the same metal plate with the same cuts and the same number of holes so that you can just make whatever, hundreds of thousands of them and you can put lockers together with the same parts essentially. The only unique, yeah. the only unique parts are the front. Everything else is sort of like standard parts that you could make, you could make hundreds and thousands of lockers out of, and just keep reusing. Are you gonna put feet on that? Are you gonna put like wooden feet on it? Or so I, I made a base for it, and on the videos, okay. so I took the, but I basically didn't. Uh, I'll show on the videos. I I bought uh, a piece of plywood for the sides, and then I put a base that ties the the two pieces of plywood together at the bottom. And then I set the lockers on top of that and then tied it all together. So the sides of wood, of the plywood, had now become the sides of the locker. I got rid of the metal sides that were there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and the, so the plywood and the base, it's all holding it together. And it became pretty stable. It's a little front heavy because the heaviest parts are the doors in the front. So I got to put some straps on it to tie it to the, to the wall. Unless you want me to give you a steel plate that you can put in the back. The last thing I'm going to do is make this any heavier than it is. <laughs> Because it's, it's funny, without the front doors, it's not that heavy. Like, I could pick it up and move it around very easily. The minute I put the front doors on, man, this thing got heavy. So, so, yeah. so I finished that. I also put on a video in my YouTube channel of the, the 3D printer ring I've made. And, uh, and I've actually designed some more jewelry <laughs> that I made for Claudia, so I may put that up on my YouTube as well. I made some earrings, uh, some laser cut earrings as well. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been working on. Uh, cool. Uh, did you... Um, oh, fun story did you on that. Do, we, do another model we, of the ring? We went to... About I, the, I haven't done a second model of the ring yet. No, that's, that's the next thing that's coming up. Yeah, for the earrings, it was, it was interesting. We went to a community meeting because they're uh, updating a library here in the district. Actually, the library that has the fabrication lab. Uh, so we went one of the, the one of the commu- we went to the one of the community meetings, mm-hmm. and that was an interesting conversation as a whole. But uh, there was a student there who wanted to uh, uh, college student who wanted to like talk to us a little bit more about uh, our, our us as being patrons of the library, and I was wearing the earrings mm-hmm. that Jose made uh, at the you know and it, that was that solidified myself and both of us as. Uh, active users and patrons of the library because hey, guess what? I'm wearing a laser cut earring that my husband designed mm-hmm. from you know and cut at the library, so it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And uh, 
easy to make, inexpensive to make, so I don't know, I'm, I'm even thinking about starting like a little Etsy store and putting some of this stuff on there. So, we'll see how that goes. May not be a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, I mean, they're made completely out of wood that I already had. I, for some reason, I had the, the parts to make the earrings. I don't remember why I had the... Oh, I bought it. Oh, because we were going oh, to make the, the, the lightsaber earrings mm-hmm. or whatever, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll put, a, I'll put up some photos and a, a quick little video of the of the laser cut earrings as well. Um, but yeah, so that's what I've been working on. What about your um, what about your Dalek? So the Dalek is that? completely cut. I just haven't had a chance to put it together yet. And actually, it's completely cut. I missed one panel that I need to cut. Still, I just haven't had the ability. One of the issues with borrowing the laser cutter from from the library is that you have to schedule it, and the scheduling can be really tough. Especially around this time of year, everybody's trying to get time in the laser cutter. So I, I should have that done next week by the time we record. And I'll show you some photos of it then. Yeah. Because I, I've got next yeah, that'll be nice. next Saturday I'm going to be over there cutting. And uh, and I might try and cut a, a smaller version of it as well. Because like the one I cut is like 10 inches tall. So I may also try and do a, a, oh, wow. a smaller version of it as well. And, uh, and yeah, so next week I'll show you some photos of that and maybe do a quick video on it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, you and I need to get together because I need to figure out how to use Peppacora. Ah, yeah, yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a project in Peppacora that's halfway through as well that I need to get back on. Now that it's winter, it's going to be harder to work on that, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and for those that don't know, Peppacora is a software that lets you it's a free software too that lets you take a 3D model and and uh, split it up so that you can print it flat on pieces of paper. It's it's really for paper crafts, and then you can take those pieces of paper and put them together to make a uh, to make this shape, this 3D shape. Otherwise, um, and it can be used for a lot of things. You know, people use it for paper, for foam. You I know you were thinking about using it for wood even, right? And metal, yeah. 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 So, it's a very helpful tool. Yeah, we definitely need to get together on that. All right, cool. Uh, so, let's very quickly tell people where they can find more about us. Why don't you go first, Ray? Uh, people can find out more about uh, uh, me and the videos in the, in the links. Obviously, uh, my YouTube channel, uh, which is just my name, but uh, it's easier to follow the link. Um, my name is a lot like John Smith, so if you do a search on me, you're going to find 40 or 50 uh, Ray Pena, so it'll be hard to find. Although, you know, I, I think I come up on top. I think I'm the first one if you do a search on YouTube uh, because none of none of the other ones have content. So I think that's a little oh, bit okay, of an cool. advantage there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and obviously my uh, my homemade lathe group, which, you know, we're getting very close to 1,000 members. 1,000 members. Oh, on, nice. on the, yeah. So it's uh, it's becoming more active, and I'm noticing a lot of people from all over the world, a lot of uh, people from Russia, Italy. Um, so it's, it's becoming quite a a uh, international uh, group, and people are building lathes all over the world. So I think they're finding the uh, the resources, and people periodically they most of the time they're looking at pictures and ideas, and sometimes they ask questions, and I think that uh, it's been very helpful for them on their own home builds. Mm-hmm. And I know you also put on there whenever you see something for sale that would work for a lathe, you put it on there as well, right? Oh yeah, whenever either locally 
or on eBay, sometimes I will find parts that are like, you know what, that's a good part if somebody's building a lathe. So I will put a link to that and make it available to uh, anyone who might be interested. And sometimes I find homemade lathes for sale. Yeah, so I will put those in there as well. Uh, you can follow me at the City Ecologist uh, on Twitter or the City Ecologist.com. Um, also, even on Twitter, Claudia or DC Barrigan. So at DC Barrigan. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and you can find me. I'm at City Aperture both on Twitter and on Facebook and on the internet. It's www.cityaperture.com. Um, and you can find the show at, you can email the show at it's info, info yeah, at madepodcast.com. Made or each, each, each of us, you know, Claudia at madepodcast.com or Jose at madepodcast.com or Ray at madepodcast.com. And we're also at Twitter on at madepodcast. That's the end of the show. Thanks everybody for listening. Mm-hmm.